Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Aussie Notes podcast. Today, we are going to go back in time for Back to the Future with my special guest of the week, Terry. How are you doing? Very well. Greetings from uh, the United States. The great thing about this is that it's 7.55 a.m. here. Yeah, you are. It's in, about, yeah, about five p.m. You're <laughs> in, in the past, so time yeah. travel. See, it all it all blends with the thing. It all works works well. <laughs> I uh, as soon as this movie came out, it became a phenomenon. Oh yeah, it was the highest grossing film in 1985 when it opened. I believe it was July. I went and saw it. I think it was the weekend after Fourth of July when it opened in the United States, and I was a, I was a much younger man then because this 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 trilogy that it turned end up being is actually a, almost, a little over thirty years old. Oh, I feel old. I went to um, I went to my uncle's house, and he's like, "Have you seen Back to the Future?" I was like, "No, what's that?" And he's like, "Oh my God, sit down, watch this." <laughs> Right. And it was yeah. one, it's one of those movies, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, th- this type of movie, this I got to say, this film and then the two that followed, it has to be my favorite movie slash movies that deal with the idea of time travel and can you change your fate? Should you change your fate? What happens if you try to change your fate? And it, it was like you had mentioned, it was a phenomenon here in the U.S. as well. It was, it was that summer blockbuster, like you said, you know, people were talking about this movie, going to see it. I ended up seeing it actually probably about a half dozen times because I'm that guy. You know, if I like the movie, I'll go again and again. I don't mind laying down that, that money. And um, there, there's so many back stories in, in, the, in the movie itself. There's so many stories surrounding how the movie was made. This movie actually was shelved for, I believe, I watched the documentary. There's a documentary that was, I believe it was on Netflix or Hulu, one of those streaming services about a year ago or so, or actually maybe it was back near 2015 when the anniversary came. They had a, a special documentary on the, uh, the Back to the Future movies. And they were talking about how this movie almost didn't come about because no studio wanted to do it. Initially, Disney, of all companies, said, oh, yeah, we'll we'll take a crack at this, but we want it done, air quotes, the Disney way. And um, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, who created this motion picture, they had a different vision. So there was some artistic differences there, and Disney ended up pulling the plug. Um, Also, originally the character of Marty McFly was played by the, the oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the actor. Now he's a redheaded guy and you know, I'm blanking, <laughs> but they replaced Eric Stoltz. They actually shot a good portion of the movie. I think the first third of the movie with him and they, they were looking at what they called dailies, you know, for anyone who t- knows the movie industry, they do what's called dailies. Back in the day, they would 
run him back at the end of the day when everyone was sent home and the director and producer and the directors would sit down and say, all right, yeah, this works. That didn't work. We're going to keep that, cut that. And they were looking at the dailies with Eric Stoltz and said, you know what? It, it, this just isn't working. And lo and behold, enter Michael J. Fox, who was on a hit TV show in the U.S. at the time called Family Ties. It was a sitcom. And what ended up happening, long story short, is it, they, they offered him the part, but the folks that were producing Family Ties says, uh, no way, um, we got him. He's making our television series. Finally, through some negotiations and that with agents, they said, listen, you want to do this movie, Michael J. Fox, fine, but you're going to do it on your time and you can't sacrifice any of the quality work you're doing here. So what they used to do is Michael J. Fox would get up at like 5 or 6 a.m. He would be driven to the studio uh, to, to film his, the episode uh, that he was doing of Family Ties. He'd work basically all day there, like a 12-hour day, get done around 5 or 6 in the evening. Then they would take him across town to the lot to film all evening. And then he would get back and maybe get, I don't know, three hours of sleep if he was lucky for. And he did this grueling schedule. But if you look up any interviews with him, he just absolutely loved doing it. The thing about talking with someone who's like, this is my favorite movie, is like, you know more about the movie than I do, which is great. <laughs> well, um, you know... I just from watching it over and over too. I mean, I've always been one of those people that have just, if I find something, people used to think I was nuts because uh, back in the day when we used to have VHS tapes, I don't know if, if your listeners will recall VHS movies and Betamax movies. I was the guy who had, you know, five, 600 VHS movies, you know, and people say, how can you watch the same movie over and over and over? I said, well, how can you listen to the same song over and over and over? Cause you know how it's going to end. Same thing. You just enjoy good cinema, you know, and good and a good story. It's timeless. The um, the great thing about Back to the Future is that people are like uh, pointing out plot holes with time travel and stuff. And aside, and the good thing about this is that it's like, yeah, this movie's so good that it took you like forty years to figure that out. Exactly, <laughs> and and tie it into uh, into other when they tied the films together. Um, in the first film, the big plot was, you know, Marty accidentally goes back in time and runs in and meets his parents and accidentally, through a set of circumstances, interferes with their initial meeting where they meet, fall in love. So what happens is a, a, a paradox, as Doc Brown states throughout the, the movie, that can destroy the space-time continuum, but locally, maybe our own galaxy, but uh, that's one of the running gags for the whole movie. And by doing this, by inadvertently interfering with his mom and dad's first meeting in the film where they are supposed to fall in love, his mother becomes infatuated with him. Ooh, which is, um, here. <laughs> which is the subplot that, or the main plot that Disney was like, no. Yeah. And that's, I think Disney kind of, that was one of the things too, that Disney was like, Hey, you got to change this in the movie. I think that was one of the things when they were talking in the documentary, because that, if you think about it in this first film, what would this film be without that subtext? I mean, it would just be almost an, almost like another time travel movie. Like, okay, somebody goes back in time and maybe they, you know, step on a butterfly and causes all the people to be different when he gets back to his time. But by using the parental, like, gosh, what, you know, we've all thought about it. it it's that paradox of 
what happens if you go back in time and let's say run into your parents and, you know, accidentally, you know, shoot your father or whatever, you know, and they never meet. Now, do you exist? And if you don't exist, then how were you able to travel back in time? And it's just that, that um, paradox they call it. I, what is it? I, I don't think it's, it's the grandfather paradox. Razor. Right. The paradox. Yeah. Occam's razor isn't a paradox. It's just a way of thinking. Thinking. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the, I never claim to be a rocket scientist like that. <laughs> you know? But, um, but yeah, I mean, and that really drove the movie that it's like, okay, how is he going to get back now? Because when he does go back in time, um, the, the time machine, the DeLorean was powered by a nuclear reaction of 1.21 gigawatts of electricity that you need a nuclear type reaction for. And as Doc Brown states in the first movie, you know, plutonium might be available on every street corner, but back here, it's a little <laughs> hard to come by in 1955, you know, and then there's that interaction. And it was nice because it was a nostalgic look. I think what, what mainly appealed to that movie and why it appealed to not only the, the teenagers of the 80s, but even the parents going to see the movie with their children is that they can look back and say, hey, I grew up in the 50s. I remember malt shops and, you know, and sock hops and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and it was almost like a multi-generational film that everyone could go and enjoy. The, um, the, the nostalgic look on uh, things in the 50s it is really good. And if you took away time travel from this movie, um, it's still... It would still work, aside from uh, if they just were thinking back on their past. Like it, right. if um, if you had like a photo album, and it's like this is how we met. That if it, time travel works when the time travel is a way to get to a different location, and you can have the story play out after right. that. And what, and what made this movie work so well, too, is that they had a proper setup in the beginning because before Marty even, you know, travels back to 1955 to, to his parents' time, um, you know, they had the dinner at the house. You know, the car got wrecked and, you know, his mom comes out. And I remember the, the one scene where we're all sitting at the table and, and his dad's watching a rerun of The Honeymooners, you know, where Ralph, I believe, was dressed up. It was the one where he was dressed up like a man from outer space. And his mom throws the cake on the table and says, you know, your uncle jailbird Joey isn't going to be, you know, your uncle Joey isn't, didn't make parole. All this stuff that they tie together in such a, a, a essential way that later on through the movie, you're like, oh, okay, I, oh, this is great. This is how, and, and it really takes you on that journey. And, and like you said, yeah, even if, even if time travel wasn't involved, uh, it would still be an excellent movie if they were just like reminiscing. But I think what, gives it that mass appeal is i mean fundamentally a lot of people go through life and say gosh even if it's last week i wish i could have done this different man if i could go back and say that and not say that and do that and i think that's what appeals to the the inner human condition is what if i had the ability to change this and then it asks those hard questions if you could change it should you change it and then by the end of the movie we see you know that marty and doc brown managed through through circumstance to kind of correct things, but some things have changed. And when you get to the end of the film, they set you up for the second one. And a lot of people were like 
wow, you know, when's the next one? And there was, there was a lapse between that uh, because Back to the Future came out in 1985 and they actually didn't release Back to the Future Part Two until 89. And, and that's, you know, usually your sequels were every couple of years if memory serves right back in the day. And, and going four, four years, people thought, well, I guess it just ends like that. The, um, the producers or writers, someone said in an interview that they weren't planning a sequel. They just had that as an ending gag. Right. And that if they were right. going to plan a sequel, they wouldn't have put Jennifer in the car. Right. Exactly. And, and, if, and if you notice, too, they actually, in, when Back to the Future came out in 1989, which personally is my favorite of all three of the films, I just, I remember, you know, seeing the previews in the movie theater at the time, and I'm like, oh, I'm here. Yeah, I'm definitely here for this. I don't care if it's midnight, 4 a.m. I'm, I'm going to be one of the first to see this, because I loved it. You know, the gal I was dating at the time thought it was nuts. But <laughs> she goes, oh, it's only a movie. I said, you don't understand. I mean, I this movie is phenomenal and I can't wait to see what they're going to do with this going into the future. And they had to switch Jennifer's. Uh, but you know, the, when they pick, get uh, Elizabeth Shue who took over and played Jennifer in the second movie, uh, she was in fil- such films as like adventures in babysitting, things of that nature. And her brother, um, I believe his name is Andrew was on a hit television show too. Um, I know I want to say ne- or Melrose place. I think it was, he was on, but you know, so they're, they're a, they're a family that's used in, in, in the entertainment business. They're not strangers to that. But I thought she, did, she has done a, um, she did a marvelous job. You know, she was a little trepidatious. I remember seeing interviews with her, you know, because she had some, some pretty big shoes to fill. And then uh, they also brought back, there was some controversy in that film because uh, I'm trying to remember Christopher Glover, I believe, who played uh, Marty's father in the first one. He... And there's interviews you can search all over the internet. In fact, there's a Sirius XM radio interview quite a few years back. If you go on YouTube and search it, you can see him talking about this, uh, where he was a, pretty much an ass. He was um, demanding, um, you know, a, a good chunk of change to come back and do the sequel. Um, you know, like Robert Zemeckis and, uh, and Bob Gale and them got, they contacted, you know, the, the original cast and said, hey, you guys want to come back? You know, Christopher Lloyd says, oh, yeah, I'm in. You know, Michael J. Fox, yeah, I'm in. Everybody's like, I'm in, I'm in. And when they approached Christopher Glover, he was like, uh, yeah, but because I don't know, it's, it's just maybe because he's a method actor or what, but his head really got swelled. And that's why when you see Back to the Future Part Two, the, he's his part was actually larger. Uh, he had more of an involved role in the film than what you actually see. And what they did is they, they, they ended up saying, you know what, forget it. We don't want you. You're not coming back. But then they figured, oh, my God, what do we got to do? Because we, we got to figure out what we're going to do for this. So they had the thing where, all right, his father died. But then they said, that's too morbid. So what they basically did is they brought him in. And when he's on that hovering uh, device for his back, that's basically his face transposed onto another actor. And uh, it's Michael J. Fox. What's that? Michael J. Fox uh, played his dad and his sister. It was very weird. Yeah. It looked weird. And basically, uh, Christopher Glover had a big thing where I think he tried to sue the studio because they were using his likeness and image in parts of the second movie. And, you know, since he wasn't in it and didn't sign on, there was a whole bunch of, you know, Hollywood fighting about that. I would have liked to see Christopher Chris Glover been in, you know, had been in the second one. I would have liked to see what they could have done with that storyline. 
But be that as it may, I thought they did an outstanding job. I mean, just right from the opening of that film where they pick up where Back to the Future left off, where he's at the scene with Jennifer, Doc Brown comes and he says, Marty, you got to come back with me, Back to the Future. And then they get in that car. As soon as that car hits and takes off, and the next thing you know, you got that opening sequence, uh, you know, through the sky. And then when they come down into the aerial freeway, I was just like, oh, this is going to be good. It was great. Um, I had the... Um... A big hobby of people with Back to the Future 2 is pointing at things in there and being like, we have those now. Like oh, everyone, yeah. Everyone's like, we don't have hoverboards and, and all we have is these stupid segues that have wheels, so aren't hoverboards. So stop calling them hoverboards, people. Right. Um, but we have the uh, VR glasses now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah, Google, Google VR, uh, Apple's working on glasses uh, that are going to be due to release, I think sometime 2020. You got virtually, you know, PlayStation VR, all that stuff. Uh, technically, there are actually hoverboards, but they will not release them to the general public just because that, That's just a rumor. That's a rumor well, that the guys started. They don't actually have hoverboards. Well, they have, they have a derivative of it, but it's still like tethered to a point, like you said, with these others. It's not an actual one like you see in the movie. Like if you look in the movie and, and the behind the scenes with the special effects, it was wires, obviously, you could, you know, but how they did it. But it looked really good. You know, it really did. It looked really um, good. And I like that little girl who's like, what, what do you steal my thing for? And then she comes in and she's like, don't worry, I've like this big thing, rockets keep and Keep it, shit. I got a pit bull now. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love her. It was the name of the one because it had itself, it, had, it was self-powered. Um, on there and I like again in, in Back to the Future Part 2 again they, they kept I think a lot of the original writers if I'm not mistaken and they they developed the storyline you know they go into the future they got to fix what you know what Doc Brown saw from Marty's kids and while the, the Doc's going and fixing that he left Marty there to try and you know help assist him okay uh, Marty decides, you know what, I'm going to just pop into this nostalgia store from the 80s, you know, in 20, 2015, and he buys a, a betting almanac. Now, this unloads a whole bunch of problems in the movie. So now Marty's thinking he's going to make some quick cash, but what he ends up doing is providing an avenue for Biff from the future to ultimately, at, at one point in the movie, to steal the time machine and go back and give it to his younger self to alter his destiny. And so they end up going back into the first film. I find it interesting that um, in the first one, if you change this, you get erased from history and things have to play out a certain way or the timeline corrects itself. But in the second one, it's parallel universe. So they right. how uh, time travel works. And I think maybe the reason for that and the, the way they portrayed it in that light, if, if, if I can take some scientific liberties, is because they were in the future, okay? But they went back to what would have been Marty and Doc's present time or, or what they did in, in 55 when, when uh, Biff stole the time machine and gave the, uh, the uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the almanac that it was, uh, Grave Sports Almanac, that's what it was. And it had uh, 1950 to the year 2000 worth of sport, sporting events, scores and everything. So when he gave it to himself back when he was a teenager in the 50s, 
from that point it altered. So when they traveled back then from uh, 2015 back to their timeline, the, the timeline had already been altered in their past, if that makes any sense. So they were going back to their present. So when they shot back, the timeline had already been altered in 55. So they were going back to an alternate reality to them, but not to those that would have currently lived through it, if that makes uh, logistical sense. It does. Um, I really like how they went, they went back to the first movie and they just repeated uh, some of the key scenes. It's, it's an interesting way to do a sequel, especially with time travel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the fact of, you know, if you look at that, the production value on that was so well thought out. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, okay, yeah, this is the first movie, but you can definitely tell it's different because it's cheap. No, that wasn't the case with this. They really paid attention to detail and it, it even introduced some, some alternate things like, you know, when Biff had wrecked his car and, and things of that nature. And when Biff, one of the best scenes I thought, which, which was really cool, was when uh, older Biff gave the book to younger Biff and they're sitting in the garage talking how they hand the book off and everything, and, you know, and Marty's in the back seat, how they just kind of put everything in. Industrial Light and Magic uh, was the special effects company that provided all the effects for that. And that's a, that's a lot of work. I mean, that's a lot of blue screens, green screens, and, you know, and now you got to remember this too. This is back in the, uh, the now, well, now the late 80s, heading into the early 90s. You didn't have, you know, what we have in today's world as far as, you know, with com computer am animation where you'd be able to just drop somebody into any kind of scene and have it look believable. Um, there was a, uh, with the movie Death Becomes Her, there was, uh, they went on Graham Norton uh, for like a reunion or something, or maybe they're promoting something else. And he recreated that scene uh, where she gets shot in the stomach. And mm. they're like, cost $20 million to make that shot. And you did it with a stupid green screen or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you know, nowadays they can just go into you know, a computer program and probably zip something like that out in, you know, 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's kind of scary too, because if you want to take that to its extreme, um, you know, if you don't like somebody, you can put them in a very awkward position. If you want to put them in a movie or put it, say, hey, this person, you know, did this and did that, you know, like. Oops. There are, um, there's videos called deep fakes, which is face mapping and you can put people's faces on um in different scenarios so yeah you could do that and it's terrifying right and, and you gotta remember again back to the future back to the future two and and you know the, the third one and the installment back to the future three this technology was just in, in its infancy so they were you know like the the trailblazers you know trying to push things to the limit to see what they can do but a lot of it was done old school like you said with green screen um, you know, special trick photography, uh, different camera angles, camera lenses, um, and things of that nature. Um, one, of the, one of the key scenes in Back to the Future Part 2 was when Marty, from the first movie, is at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, and Marty from the Back to the Future film is interacting and just kind of just missing him, not running into himself and things. And Marty's the first Marty from the first movies up there playing Johnny Be Good and everything. And they're kind of doing all this stuff behind the scenes. 
and that was very well done. I mean, how, you know, the near misses because he can't run into himself. Otherwise, you know, you could destroy the space-time continuum if you run into yourself. Although... My favorite gag yeah. about that is I think you're about to bring that up, but my favorite gag with that is Jennifer. And it's yep. like, if you, they run into, if they run into each other, either the entire universe will be destroyed and uh, the space time continual will rip apart or they'll faint. Yeah, which we had option two, because if they would have destroyed the space time continuum, well, the movie's over, bring up the lights and thanks. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> There's no more movie to make. Imagine yeah. that. Imagine if they just blew it up. That'd be funny. Yeah, all of a sudden the screen just boom, and the you know the film tears, and they, they somebody comes out and says, "Well, the universe was destroyed." Thank you, folks. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, my like I said, the, the the second installment of that that film, Back to the Future Part Two, I must have watched. I I saw it probably a good half dozen times in the theater, and then when it came out on VHS, I was one of the first people to rent it. And then when it was available for purchase, I was one of the first people to buy. I wore that tape out. I had a nice 50-inch Pioneer uh, television at the time, you know, in one of my uh, other apartments that I can remember back in the day. And I had a killer sound system with uh, an Onkyo surround sound receiver and ohm nice. speakers. And, and I would just, that movie, the soundtrack and the effects in it with the car comes in and you can hear the when he hits the trash can go from left to right, to, or left to center to right across your speakers. I just, I loved it too, just for the special effects and, and the audio effects in it. Um, but again, going back to the time travel thing, just capitalizing on what worked in the first film and taking it to another level. Hey, what would happen if you went back and you fixed things and made things better for yourself, but then your arch rival or your nemesis as it were from the first movie were to catch wind of it in a, in a you know in a future tense and he tries to you know pull the rug out from under you now you're scrambling to try and set things back the way they were and and that's that worked really well because there's that there's that arch nemesis i i don't know about you but we all maybe had that person or maybe persons that maybe when we were you know in our high school years or our uh, junior high years that was that one person that maybe you didn't see eye to eye with, or you felt was your nemesis or trying to undermine you. What could you do, you know, if you could best them, you know? It's not that this is to its logical extreme, but yeah, I get it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and like I said, the, the way they tied everything in as far as showing Marty his future, like what happens because whenever anybody calls him a what? Uh, he loses cow and a chicken chicken right and you know uh, needles in the future oh speaking of the future just i gotta touch on this you, you mentioned we talked about a little earlier with uh the second installment of the movie that people saying oh look at all the stuff we have now all the channels when his son went to sit down give me channel 115 208 the weather channel <laughs> what do we got like 500 channels on satellite now or cable television the best the best joke in that is when he's watching uh the two tvs on his glasses and, yeah and it's like uh back in my day if uh we wanted to watch two television shows at the same time we had to put two tvs together right exactly it's just you know. fucking great yeah, and and they got you know and the um I like the idea and I they had the uh, the scenery channel, you know, <laughs> the scenery and, channel. And 
Right. I mean, what yeah. of them was this? Uh, and then they had the scene screen repairman. What do we have now? If you look on, like, um, if you own an Android television or you have something, you can actually download an app for your internet connected television where you can have a virtual fireplace on your TV. And <laughs> if you something. don't want that, you can also just go to YouTube. Right. Exactly. I'm sure there's too. tons of fire um, things on YouTube. Yeah, so almost like they predicted the, you know, the future a little bit. They kind of saw ahead. And speaking of uh, seeing ahead, I, I thought I saw something on the internet a month or maybe it was a couple months ago, where Nike is actually going to release those self-lacing sneakers. I think what they did for, I don't know if they're going to release them, but for 2015, for the anniversary, they had self-lacing sneakers and they had them for a charity auction. Yeah. Okay. So they definitely I thought they were coming out, but I haven't seen any, seen any of them. That'd be kind of cool, though, I guess. The ultimate laziness. Not tying your own <laughs> shoes. <laughs> you know, I like the jacket. The jacket was nice. You just press the button. You don't have to worry about a size anymore. It just adjusts, adjusts its size to you. That was kind of cool. And it's self-drying as well. Yeah. Now, if you notice, there is a, actually in that movie, when he had gone on the skateboard, you know, through the courtyard there, the courthouse, which has now had a pond and everything in, in the confrontation with this gang, when he comes out of the water and he hits that with the jacket and it says drying, if you look at his hair and, and then the very next scene when it's dry, his hair's combed. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's one heck of a jacket. Because the hat has hair. a combing setting. <laughs> Right. It must have, you know, something that combs your hair for you. Uh, I'd love to get my hands on a DeLorean, though. <laughs> I would. Oh, tell you. There's also uh, the Jaws movie, like Jaws 23 or 26 or whatever. I think it was 19. Jaws 19. Was, yeah, and it comes in with the hologram. And A, um, there's tons of sequels, and B, 3D is a thing that exists. Right. Uh, so that that predicted the apocalypse. And the funny, then the funny line he says after that, if he gets scared by the shark, when he comes up, he says, shark still looks fake. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the big knock on Jaws 3 and 4. They said how fake the shark looked in Jaws, you know. Uh, and that was kind of like poking, you know, poking fun at that as well. I, th um, I think I mean, it was, I think it was mainly point, poking fun at kids who got, teenagers who got scared of um, the shark in Jaws. And it's like, no, nah, no, nah, shark, shark looked fake. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I remember going to see the original Jaws and, and I didn't sleep for three days because I was about 12 years old at the time and I wouldn't even go in a pool. It scared, that movie scared me. <laughs> <laughs> that movie scared the living daylights out of me. Oh, golly. But yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the second the second of the trilogy is definitely my, my uh, most favorite of, of them all. Because, yeah, I just think it, it emphasizes all the things that are right with the three sets of films. It brought together a protagonist, an antagonist, um, a little bit of what if, uh, a little bit of what could be, um, you know. And, uh, and I, actually, I, I think it, it actually asked a lot of moral questions, you know, as far as, you know, if you can't tame your own demons, that ultimately they can be your undoing, you know, like with Marty McFly being called a chicken where he loses his job when Needles tries to uh, goad him into stealing, I guess, some kind of information from the company he was working for and that, then he ends up getting fired and everything, you know, and, um, you know, they have how the, they made a, a lure. They have the video chat, but it's like yeah. a shitty projection 
uh, that you had in the 80s, and then he got sent to fax. Yeah, yeah, it says you're fired. And, you know, speaking of things, video chats, which, you know, kind of what we're doing now a little bit here on the audio end. You know, we have meetings and, and things like uh, FaceTime with Apple products and everything and Android, you know, with Google Hangouts and things of that nature. I mean, things that were to be more, you know, in mainstream society. Uh, it's really interesting the stuff that they got right and they didn't predict the internet. I think that was the biggest thing. No one saw the internet coming. Right. Uh, so while you're like, okay, we have all of these cool things like video chats and uh, watching multiple TV screens at the same time, it's still very analog. Right. That of it well, all the Cubs did win the World Series, though. That is the most <laughs> shocking. I believe hoverboards before I believe that. Right. And, and, they, and the Cubs won it a few years back. And I was rooting for them. I was rooting for the Cubbies. I liked one thing, too, in the second movie. The odd thing with, with the double neckties, I'm like, oh, God, I hope that doesn't become a fashion trend. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had the double neckties next to each other, too. And then how they had uh, Mayor Goldie Wilson. They were talking about that in the first movie, how they wanted to show a strong minority that they, someone that could you know, pull themselves out, become a mayor, become a powerful man. And then in the second movie, they took that a step further and uh, everything you know was with that as well president in that one i i think he if i think you know what i'm not sure i'd have to god as much as i've seen that movie you would think i would know that i'm not sure but he was still i think it was his son or something oh yeah oh yeah because he said when my grandfather was mayor hill valley he had the hoverboard or not the hoverboard the uh conversions for the cars to make them skyway flyers and the, the commercial that's running over the, the Texaco when the car pulls in. And it says my had to worry about traffic. Was, yeah. What was it? Was it like uh, something 99, 9, 99, 49, 99, 99, 9, or some outrageous price, you know, but probably in their dollars, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be much at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's either an inflation joke or a price joke. I'm not sure which. Right. And you know what? We haven't gotten the hydrating of the pizzas yet. I would like to take one of those little packets and put it in some kind of special oven and, you know, within a, like a minute, have a full-size pizza. That's one of the best product placements. It's so silly. Yeah, Pizza Hut, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, it, well, of course, Pepsi. <laughs> when he goes to the cafe uh, in the 50s and he asks for Pepsi free, and it's like, if you yeah. want Pepsi, you got to have to pay for it. Right. And he goes, well, just give me something without any caffeine. The guy gives him a, a cup of decaffeinated coffee. <laughs> I think it was. Uh, it was something without or, sugar. No, without any sugar in it. That's what it was. He gave him a cup of coffee. That's what it was. Because he said, give me something without any sugar in it. So the guy gives him a cup of coffee. <laughs> That's what it was. And, uh, and in, the, in the second movie with the Cafe 80s, Doc Brown tells him, go down around the corner of the Cafe 80s. He says, the Cafe 80s. He says, yeah, one of those nostalgic places, but not done very well. And then they got, you know, the Ronald Reagan uh, menu. Was that actually Ronald told. Reagan? Because I know Ronald yeah, well, Reagan was a fan of the first one. Yeah. In the second movie, when he, when Marty McFly goes into the Cafe 80s and he's going to sit down, the two video screens come up, or the video screen comes up, the automated waiter. waiter, And it's Ronald Reagan. It says, you know, welcome to the Cafe 80s where it's morning in America, even in, and it stutters a little bit. like. <laughs> <Matt> <laughs> the afternoon. No, 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 no. 
Right. And then uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini comes on and says, you must have some kind of something special. And they're fighting between the screen and they get really loud. And Marty says, guys, guys, all they want is the Pepsi. All of a sudden in between the, if he looks down, the camera pans down to the countertop and this hole opens up and out pops a Pepsi. <laughs> you know? uh, I worked in a restaurant and that's too close. Exactly. The waiters fighting for a customer. Right. And the other thing too, while he's in the cafe, just to get some stuff, he sees the kids playing the video game. And one of the kids playing the video game is a famous actor today. I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, I know. This he was story. one of the kids playing the game, but it was quick draw was the game they were playing. And when he walks up and Marty says, oh, I'm a crack shot at this. And he grabs the gun because they're trying to figure out how to play it. And when he shoots and scores and they look at him, they go, you have to use your hands. That's like a baby's toy, you know. <laughs> Elijah comes- Wood. That's who it was. Elijah, Elijah Wood. Wood. Yes. Yep. I knew it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because he was real young in that one. I I really like that because it's like it's like a baby's toy, and then that comes right. back in the third one. Yeah, where, where the guy puts a gun in his hand and he's like, oh, but he switches hands. So it's money. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, and the other thing too, uh, in in the second movie, the part of Biff's uh, well, in Back to the Future, in Biff's grandson's gang, there, Griff's gang. Billy Zane, who would go on to later fame in the biggest movie of all time, Titanic, was actually a member of the gang in Griff's gang in Back to the Future too. You have to look because he, he really doesn't look like himself because, you know, Billy Zane's got that unique facial feature, but you can pick him out, you know, with the makeup and everything. But he is part, he's, he's in the movie. When you brought up Billy Zane and you're like, uh, one of the biggest movies, I was like, The Phantom? <laughs> no, no, that would be Titanic, which at the time, my uh, soon-to-be second wife drug, drug me to see, and I thought the movie would never, I'm like, come on, sink the ship already, I want to go home. <laughs> it was so long. <laughs> Thing with, uh, with, uh, okay, so James Cameron has uh, Titanic, which I get why that made money, because it's like, you have all the girls that go to their friends and say, oh my God, Jack, he's so sexy and romantic yeah. and everything. And then all the guys are like, there was a guy who fell on a propeller and just got fucking killed. Yep, chopped right off or bounced off the hull, you know. You can tell why that made yep. money. That's amazing. Yeah, that was a long though movie, long movie. You know, I thought James Cameron was trying to go for either the Clint Eastwood or Kevin Costner director award where let's see if we can push it to four hours. <laughs> we talked about the um, second and first movie a bit, but we haven't talked about the third movie. And Right, yeah. The, the third movie, which was actually they shot the second and third together and ended up chopping it up. Uh, because they didn't want to, you know, it was too long. So they shot him, believe it or not, in the same uh, production, I guess, schedule. And Back to the Future 3 ended up being released, I believe it was, eh, let me, I, 1980, or 19, hang on, 1990. They released it the very next year. That's what it was, 1990. So basically what it does is at the end of Back to the Future 2, you know, Marty and Doc fix everything. They, you know, sidestep disaster, we feel, and we're, we think everything is good. However, at the end of the film, that, you know, that horrendous thunderstorm is there, and the time machine, unfortunately, gets struck by lightning with Doc in it. Now, what that does is you see the time machine just zip 
and it's gone. Now, instead of vaporizing, and Marty's laying down in the middle of the road in the middle of that thunderstorm, and all of a sudden he stands up and, you know, you know something's coming because the music and everything, Alan Silvestri's score is just phenomenal. It's, it, it builds that anticipation that we know, okay, this is not done yet. This doc's not dead. Something happened. And then the Western uh, Union Telegraph man walks up to him. This guy walks up to him, and Marty's got this quizzical look on his face at the end of Back to the Future 2 and says, are you Marty McFly? And he goes, yeah. And he's like, I've got something for you. And he reaches in his jacket. That's an old, that's an old uh, gangster-type uh, filmmaking prose where they re- you don't – is this guy going to pull a gun or what? And he pulls out an envelope. That. I was thinking yeah. that it looked like he was going to pull a gun, but you knew he obviously wasn't because that would be stupid. Right. You know, you were like, oh, come on. They can't kill both these people off. So he hands him an envelope and he goes, and then the funny thing is, and the way they set it up, and you know that another installment's coming, is he says, we had a bet in the office. This envelope's been sitting there for, I don't know how many years he said it was. I can't. It was 1888 and it's right. five. So you guys can do the math. Yeah, yeah, years. yeah, he says, we, whether you would be here tonight, yeah. and then he hands him it, and he reads it. Now, here's one thing that, obviously, you have to give creative license to the filmmakers. He opens, it's a poor, opens up this letter that's been sitting, okay, maybe they had it in a safe, but written in 1888, okay, with, obviously, the ink, and you would think that that would just smudge right away. <laughs> you would think. Well, you got Doc but, Brown. He's science. He's probably yeah, like, I need something to last. You might as well give him creative license. But then you know he's alive. He's back, but he's alive. So he's in the eighteen. He's in the old west, but he's alive. He's in the old west, he's alive. Right. So basically, what Marty does is he hightails it back to Doc Brown's house in the fifth. Because he's still in the 50s, mind you, because they were getting ready to go back to their timeline after they thought they fixed everything. Yeah, and, so and Doc Brown, my favorite part is that Doc Brown is there. And he's like, yep. we did it. And he's like, great. And he's like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, and then he ends up passing out because, you know, he scares me. Because he thinks, it's like, you just left. What are you doing standing behind me, right? And then that's how the third movie opens, where he has taken Doc Brown back to his home in 1955, back to Doc Brown's uh, estate there. And they're kind of just relaxing as the movie opens. And it opens very serene, you know, that everybody's just kind of getting a rest. And then Doc Brown wakes up and he thinks it was all kind of a dream that he knows he sent him back and he just thought he had a nightmare. So now he shows him the letter and explains everything. And Doc Brown, you know, makes some statements like how ironic this I've always wanted to visit the Old West, that I'm actually trapped there, you know? But uh, the, I, they, again, the time paradox thing comes into play in the third movie because when they're looking to get the time machine dug out, they find out that Doc Brown was actually murdered by Mad Dog Tannen in the Old Tannins, West. man. So if he was murdered, how could he be alive? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so He's there's your paradox again. He sent the letter and then he was shot two weeks later. Right. But the thing is, is again, going forward to 55 and then 1985 and then 2015. So it's a lot to sometimes wrap your head around. Yeah. It's like time travel, man. Don't think about it too hard. Right. You know, because you could definitely. And I spent many a night thinking, well, what if you did? Yeah, but if you did this and then you circle back around, would you 
you know, what do you, and I'm like, you know what, just enjoy it. <laughs> just go with the flow. And it's fun to discuss. Yeah. So in the third. The most of the paradoxes in Back to the Future is time travel bullshit. Yeah. Well, if you talk with any, any kind of scholar, uh, you know, physicist or anything, there's some very fringe um, thinking on that. Well, this, this, but uh, they took a lot of liberties, which you have to, I mean, it's a movie. I mean, that's, again, I get it, you know, and it's fun to talk about and say, well, why did they do it like this? Because what if that happened? But it's meant to be entertainment and it's, and it's done its job because it makes you talk and think about it and spread, you know, and, and you enjoy it in word of mouth. So in the third movie, they do find the time machine that Doc buried in a mine and uh, he left instructions on how to, with 1955 components, get it so it would be operational. But he wanted Marty to go back to 1985 and kind of leave him there. Well, Marty, obviously, and Doc have a very strong relationship, and he's not going to leave him stranded. So he decides to go back, and I love the outfit he had at the drive-in. Oh my God. And the fact that Doc Brown said, what idiot dressed you in that outfit? Is that you did? <laughs> you did. <laughs> you did. And so they dress him in that, uh, you know, he's at the drive-in and it's, it's almost, uh, it's, it's nice irony too, that when he's actually trying to get the DeLorean up to 88 to activate the flux capacitor and everything, he's heading straight to the drive-in screen and what's on the screen? Indians. And once he attempts and when he gets to 88 miles per hour what's the first thing he runs into exactly <laughs> it's it's really funny yeah very subtle irony but it was very funny because i remember being in the theater people laughed at that part that was a good gag it was a great visual that, gag boom you know so he gets there you know he hides the time machine but now there's another problem that presents itself because in trying to avoid the indians they actually cut a fuel line so now the DeLorean loses all its fuel. And gasoline is probably not prevalent in the 1800s. I want to bet that you'd have to go pretty far out. Yeah, the, 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 the Texaco station was probably a few decades away. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he manages to, you know, head towards town when he encounters again the antagonist. This uh, time, Mad Dog Biff Tannen. <laughs> so many tannins. I know. So, so many tannins in, so, in too little time. And uh, he, now here's the thing too. He almost gets hung by Mad Dog Tannin because they want to string him up on the courthouse. Okay. Because there he's, he goes into the saloon first, you know, and he goes, wants to get something to drink. And oh, a funny part in, in that scene, when he goes into the saloon, they go to give him a little bit of, I think it's whiskey and he flicks it with his finger, the shot glass. And when it spills on the bar, it starts smoking. <laughs> like, oh my god how can you drink that you know you could use that to clean the bar you know take tarnish off um so uh, he asked for water which is hilarious and is brown uh if you want water you can go to the oh, trough yeah. outside stick your head in the horse trough that's right yeah he says and here we serve whiskey and that's when he slams it down he pours in the shot and he's like he's just looking at it he flicks it and then if a couple of drops spill in the bar, and all of a sudden you see the smoke coming up. I'm like, that was a great gag right there, too. So uh, in there... My favorite invention in that is the refrigerator. For the ice cube? Yeah. You got all this, I, all this bullshit smoke and mirrors technology. It's like one ice cube. Yeah. Ice tea, he said. Ice tea? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. So, it, so when he's in the bar, um, you know, he's talking, and um, lo and behold, you know, uh, Mad Dog Tannen comes in, 
there's that confrontation and they do that gag where they revert back to the scene in the the um the cafes okay throughout both movies where i thought i told you never come in here and they both you know they turn and he goes you're not you know seamus mcfly and he goes no and then they're talking and he's like what's your name dude and the whole theater erupted when he says eastwood clint eastwood what kind of <laughs> stupid name is that <laughs> so, so that I, was funny it's it's really good makes you think about time travel and how uh clint eastwood's parents might have heard about this guy from the old west or whatever but it's probably just coincidence probably <laughs> So the other thing they did in the third movie too is to kind of give it a different feel is they gave Doc a love interest, Clara, where she um, was actually supposed to be the school teacher that died in Clayton's Ravine. And he's, and he's like, what other changes must I make for this timeline? And, and Marty's like, don't worry, they'll just name it something else. Right. And then, you know, he ends up, she ends up falling in love with him. He ends up falling in love with her. And then as they continue on it's about you know doc's love interest and that he doesn't want to leave he's torn between wanting to stay and you know and go back and um and he wants to get marty obviously back to the future and there's a real good scene with you know with the train where they're pushing the delorean to try and get it up to speed in that um and there's just i felt that the third one, I, I got to be honest, the third one wasn't my favorite of, out of the three. I think it was the weakest of all three movies. Maybe just to the, personally, I, I, all right, we've got some good gags here, but about halfway through the movie, I'm like, all right, I think we've taken liberties with everything we can to this point. And it almost felt like they were saying, you know what, let's just get this over with. I felt the ending was a little rushed a little bit for me. I, did you feel that way? Uh, I didn't, but I focused more on characters than story. And I really liked um, Clara and, um, is it Clara? Yes, Clara. Clara Clayton. Okay. Clara Clayton, uh, Marty and Doc. And I like those three. And I like the new characters that they introduced, like um, Marty's great-grandfather or whatever. Seamus. Yeah. yeah, Seamus. I like Seamus and I like um, all the characters. So I had a great time. And I like right. that it wasn't focusing on Marty again because you have the first movie which is a fucking classic and everyone should oh, yeah. bow down to it uh, and then you have the second one which is like let's repeat this and have Marty do the things but then they tried in different circumstances yeah yeah then they tried to do uh, then they said okay we're, we're done with Marty Marty's done all his family's fine everything's great let's focus on Doc for the third one yeah Maybe maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a big Marty fan. Maybe that's what it could be. I don't, I still feel for me for me it, it's don't get me wrong. It was still a great movie and and money well spent to go to the theater to see it. Okay, and I still I still watch it. In fact, I own all the whole trilogy from iTunes. Sorry, Apple, I'll give you a shameless plug uh, <laughs> digitally. And and when they when they released the uh, the Blu-ray DVD collector set, I bought that. I still have that unopened here somewhere. But I. For me, the third one definitely was the weakest. I mean, I just, I don't know, the ending with the train, I'm like, eh. But the, tra the train's weird because all throughout he's like, I, um, I shouldn't create the time machine. I should just destroy this thing. 
Right. And, and he's happy with um, Clara and his kids, Jules and Vern. Solid right. fucking names. Yes, absolutely. And then, um, you know, just to keep going forward with that. In fact, uh, they say co-writer and director Robert Zemeckis, who has the final rights to all the films in the Back to the Future franchise, he stated on several occasions that he will block all attempts for a remake or reboot of the original film. And uh, Bob Gale, who was the, uh, the co-writer with him, stated that he does not wish to see another film in the series without Marty Mc Marty's character or any other actor other than Michael J. Fox. And unfortunately, for those of you that are familiar with Michael J. Fox, you know, unfortunately, he has a, a horrible, horrible condition that, that he's afflicted with, with the Parkinson's and that. And it's just, a, that's a horrible, horrible disease. And, you know, I pray for him daily. Um, he runs um, some charities for yes, Parkinson's. So and he's a super nice guy. I mean, he's a super nice guy. Any interviews, I've, I, I haven't had the chance to meet him personally. I've come close in certain circles. Um, where he was like at an event kind of thing, you know, when he was more active. And people who have, people I've spoken to that have run into him said he is nothing but gracious, courteous, considerate, you know. And, and you know, honestly, I don't know about you, but that's how I want my idols to kind of be. You know what I'm saying? I know they're people and they can get hounded, but just, you know what, you're getting adulation. You're doing what you love to do, you know. Be gracious about it. I get it. But I look at it this way, too. You signed up for it. You know what I'm saying? You wanted to be that rock star or that movie star. So some of that comes with the territory. I know fans can get overzealous and a little zany, but you kind of got to know some of this comes with the territory. One of my favorite, I, I've brought Princess Bride up far too often, uh, but it's one of my favorite movies. And uh, whenever Carrie Elwes, who plays Wesley, talks about Princess Bride, he's like, this is literally the best thing. And um, yeah. and he just had a blast and everyone was nice to each other. And you hear stories of yeah. like, this actor went method in order to um, get the performance of his career and he wins an Oscar. And it's like, right. he didn't win an Oscar because he went method. Daniel Day-Lewis could have won an Oscar if after every take he just went straight out of character, he's that sure. good. Because um, Jared Leto went method for uh, the Joker, and that movie's a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's. I guess it. It all boils down to you know to be an actor. And again, I'm no. I wouldn't know the first thing about being an actor, <laughs> but you you watch a lot of the inside the actor's studio and maybe you learn a trick or two or you watch these behind the scenes things. It's, it's a special type of individual because you have to submerge your personality and become someone sometime somewhere else. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the actor who said it. I might have even been an actress that, you know what, you have to be a little bit out there, a little zany <laughs> because you've got to submerge your personality, your inner, inner self and take on, you're just stepping out of your skin into something else. And some people, actors, let's face it, can't differentiate between the two, you know, <laughs> and they get like trapped. Um, is, have you seen Stuart Little? Uh, you're talking about the remake with, uh, 
the, the, yeah. the one from the 90s? Yeah. Michael J. Fox was yeah, in that. I, it, it's been so long, but yes. Michael J. Fox played Stuart Little, and I was uh, wondering if he uh, became a voice actor after his Parkinson's. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, because he was the voice of Stuart Little in that movie. Well, a lot of actors do voice work, too. I mean, look at um, Robin Williams did tons of voice work. You know, Aladdin, his biggest hit, you know, and he did other things as well. And many other actors have done it, too, now. Um, I think it's just another way because they, they have that way to project their personality where you actually don't even have to see their face. You know, it can be a, an animated character. Um, Speaking of Back to the Future, too, yeah. get, circling back around to that, on YouTube, there was, it, it inspired, you know, like you, we talked about, I think, earlier uh, when I talked to you before we went on here on the air, uh, the, the cartoon series, which I... I think I saw one or two episodes and I think you told me, well, then you've seen basically all of them. Yeah. It's basically the same formula. The kids uh, take either the car or the train and do some, and um, get in some trouble, get in some trouble. And then Marty and doc and Clara take the other one, whether it's the car or the train and follow them. Or they go, or Marty goes back in time, or whatever, and it's always with a tannin, right? Uh, and yeah. they always get in shenanigans. Now, the other thing too, they they it inspired a game. Now, I wanted to touch on this real quick, if I could. Sure. On YouTube, a very very talented individual, his name is escapes me right now, actually took that game. It was a very long involved game. And he cut it like it was a movie. Is it okay? the ride? He made was, it back it, with, was it the back ride? The back four future. and five. Yeah, that was the ride. And I watched I it, and it was animated, and it was phenomenal because I almost got lost in the story because forgetting I was watching an animated game because he cut the way he cut the film and put two stories together on it. If you have a chance to search on YouTube, just search Back to the Future Four. You'll see. I'm trying to remember the the, the person who did it. Um, but it, it is up on YouTube. It, it, if you search Back to the Future 4 and 5, it'll, let me see if I even can pull that up real quick while we're, while we're chatting here. But I, I, if you're a fan of the movies, I highly advise you to maybe look uh, this Adam, up. oh, hang on. Yeah, uh, Adam Karaki? I've, I've got it, well, I've got it saved in my liked video. Carlick, Adam Carlick. <laughs> Uh, it's the first one. It's animated. It's called um, Back to the Future for full length uh, feature. Right. Yes, exactly. Four and five. And you know what? It's about two and a half hours long for uh, Back to the Future 5. Uh, let me see what four is. I just don't want them. Oh, there we go. An hour it's about a, about a couple hours long for the first one. And he comes out with a disclaimer and says, here's what I've done. But it was, I think it was for what he had to work with. Uh, kudos to him. Phenomenal job. I'll definitely put links uh, to that video in the description. Yeah, have a have a gander at those folks. You'll enjoy if you enjoyed Back to the Future movies. I think you'll really get a kick out of it. And enjoy both uh, his his vision of Back to the Future four and five with that game. Um, I had a I I can't find it. I wanted to find it and show it to you for the uh, for this, but I have um, a folder and I bought on eBay stuff from back to the future like replicas of the props like i got the really? um 
I got the flyer that says save the cocktail with um with the phone number <laughs> on it. Yeah. Um, I have the cover uh, it's just cardboard but it's the cover to the um to the almanac. Right. Great almanac. Uh, I have the photo that he sent that Doc and Marty took in front of the clock tower. I have a bunch right. of those things and I can't find them anywhere. Uh-oh. I'm so upset. It's probably in the garage. Yeah. I've got so much stuff floating around here, memorabilia from this, that, and the other thing and boxes and stuff. And you, you're like, oh, and then you, then you end up going on eBay and buying it again and say, wait a minute, I've got this already. I want to get the hat. The hat is the thing. I found oh, the hat, but it's like forty dollars. Are we talking about the one? You're not talking about the cowboy hat in third. No, talking about the hat, Back to the, the Future Two, the hat. holographic type hat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was actually two. You can search on YouTube as well of people that have taken DeLoreans because they're obviously they were no longer in production. The car didn't have a long lifespan in production, but people have actually bought those and spent tens of thousands of dollars and in some cases i think one gentleman that took one he spent almost a hundred thousand dollars because he loved the movie that much to replicate it as as close as he could and he did a phenomenal job on it the work and the labor of love on something like that i mean they have a to have that kind of money to do that god bless (laughs) but b you know the time and investment and you know, searching out the parts and, and, you know, I'm sure he didn't do all the work himself because he said that, you know, he had this person do this part and this person do the upholstery and this person do the electronics. And, but the one on there that I had seen, and I'm trying to recall the, the uh, gentleman's name, it was, I'll tell you what, you, unless you compared them pictures side by side stills from the movie, it was really close. It, it seems like the kind of thing that you're like, if you're going to spend that much money on it, you want it to be as accurate as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder how much yeah. the original uh, DeLorean would cost. Well, they had, I think they had four of them in the original movie that they had bought or it might've even been more, but I think it was at least four that they had purchased because they, they had different angles they had to show then they had like a you know for the interior scenes they had to cut one i think or something or you know to show certain scenes from the interior and that and they they cover that a lot of that too in the i think the documentary from memory serves me great it's called back in time that you can actually buy on itunes or rent on itunes or you can, you can probably even search it on youtube and you know save yourself a couple bucks that way as well if you want to just watch it um, and it goes into some pretty decent details and it takes you through a lot of the topics and things that we've touched on here today too, as far as the, it's, I'd like to get to know the backstory of my favorite movies too, just to be like, Oh wow. Cause then when you rewatch the films, you kind of like, Oh, it gives you an, almost like a new appreciation for them. Um, I used to, when I was um, younger, I didn't want to know anything about movies because I wanted it to be uh, real, but I found that when I got when I got to like thirteen or whatever, uh, and especially now, I um, the more I know about the backstory and the behind the scenes and all the actors uh, in it, the better the movie is, and it's just a a different experience when you research sure. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you revisit the film, you know, I mean, and that's a, for me, I, I agree with you. It's the same way for me. When I was maybe till about 
I think it was around the same age, maybe 14, 15 for me. I started asking, well, how did they do that? Or why would this character, why would this person act like that? Or, you know, if I was watching something that maybe was based on a, a historical character, a movie that had a, you know, it was a gangster movie or something like that. Well, was this person, really, how true was the character, you know, portrayed in the movie and things like that, you know, and, and it just it was fascinating to me and it still is to this day. I, I really, um, I really like getting into movies and experiencing them uh, for what they present and seeing whether or not they did a good job. Uh, but yeah, finding out, finding out the, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park looking real is, is good. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see dinosaurs that look real, but knowing just how hard it was to make the production look real. It makes, yeah. makes it even better. That's a movie. That's a trilogy or quadrilogy at this point. Or how many, how many movies have you up to now? Five? Too oh. many. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Not to get off our topic, but when Jurassic Park opened that summer, I believe it was June of 90 something. I don't know. <laughs> I saw that movie. Are you ready for this? Go the nuts. weekend it opened, uh -huh. I saw the movie 11 times. <laughs> Because I went and saw it by myself and at the matinee out here. And then I'm like, wow, I got to see this again. I went right up, bought another ticket. And I went right back into the next showing. Then I came home for dinner and I stopped by my folks' house and I said, oh man, I just saw this movie. And my father happened to be home and it was after dinner. And he goes, what, is it that good? And I'm like, yeah, he goes, well, come on, let's go see it. Let's see if they got, we went again. I mean, I saw it like three or four, I think it was three times the first day. It was three times on that Friday because it opened <laughs> on a Friday. Saturday, my, when we came out, my father's like, I got to tell your uncle about your uncles about this. Well, we went Saturday afternoon with my uncles and I went, we saw it Saturday afternoon. Then I was uh, playing ice hockey on a team and I was talking to one of my, uh, my uh, players on the phone about it. And he says, man, I'd like to see that. So Saturday night I ended up going with it. I mean, it just, it was like 11 times that weekend. I ended up seeing that movie and it's the original Jurassic Park is still one of my favorites today. <laughs> it's the first installment. Uh, it's definitely a classic. And I, I like um, that the these are just interesting concepts. Uh, I don't know what, what the term is, but it's a simple idea that has major impact. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I really... I People really are drawn like to it, too. You know, they, they take the unknown. You know, dinosaurs are, you know, universally a fascination kids and adults alike and they they seized upon that and that's another you know excellent production i think that's what appealed to, with back to the future with a lot of folks they roberts and Meckes and bob gale had an idea in fact they talked about in the original movie where the time machine was initially going to be like a refrigerator or something that he would go into and, and then they pulled that right away because they said too many kids might get an idea and you know what happens if you go into a refrigerator you die you suffocate because of yeah the and they didn't want to a jeopardize and good for them for being, you know, having the forethought to say that, no, this is not cool to do. So they changed it. And then they were going to have them step into a room and they thought, no, nah, that's corny. So they wanted, you know, they wanted to figure out something, you know, to, to make it mobile, like a mobile time machine. So that way you don't have to go to a certain building or a place in the town. It can be anywhere that you can travel, you know. One of the things that I um, that I found really interesting is that Einstein was originally going to be a chimpanzee, not a dog. 
Oh, and I'm willing to bet that if you had yeah. exactly the same movie, but Einstein was a fucking chimpanzee, that yeah. this movie would immediately go down the drain. Uh, yeah, it, well, it wouldn't have been as yeah iconic because I mean Einstein the dog he's a major character in the movie too. You know he was the test subject. You know. Yeah, and having <laughs> um and having him be a chimp, it would no. it would be it would be I like all this movie except for the chimp. Right. I mean, and and if you look at it, chimpanzees were the first test subjects for you know shots in the outer space. It's yes. been done before. So you can see where they were going with that. Right. But at the same time, no. <laughs> no, thank you. Dogs away. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it, Back to the Future is, is my favorite uh, trilogy of films. And honestly, I guess I could say I'm glad they stopped at three. And I, in fact, me and my wife were discussing this because when uh, we had contact, you know, we had uh, got in touch with each other and we said, yeah, let's discuss, you know, you said, hey, can we discuss this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, right on. It's right up my alley. I was talking to my wife about it and she says, you know, I just hope they don't ever do a remake of that movie. Leave it alone. Because, you know, they're doing remakes of everything now. The and thing a lot is, of them um, are not good. <laughs> no. Like, Horror. Disney, um, the, the woman who wrote Mary Poppins actively hated the movie and said, don't ever do a sequel or whatever. Uh, don't use my books again. And then they made Mary Poppins Returns, a movie that yeah. no one um, remembers came out. Yeah. Not well, you know what? I've actually, uh, I've actually got a copy of it lying around here somewhere. I won't say how I got it. Uh, it's, but uh, rumor has it that Dick Van Dyke makes a cameo in it. And honestly, it's oh. been sitting here for a while and I have no desire to really watch it. Okay. Okay, I don't want to get into this because we're probably going to talk about Mary Poppins at some point. But I'm going to get into it anyway. So Dick okay. Van Dyke's cameo ruins the entire movie. Does it? I haven't seen it yet. Okay. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't bother. Um, yeah. But, like, you have this pretty okay movie, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of fine. Uh, Emily Blunt does a fine job. It's all okay. But the entire time, it's like Mary Poppins is doing all this stuff so that they get um, this document that says they, they have money. Then, last two minutes of the film, Dick Van Dyke comes out and goes to Colin Firth, you've been a dick. Stop being a dick. I'm still here in that room that I've probably been in the entire movie for months, I guess. It doesn't matter. Who cares? I know I don't. I care a little. So, and then he's like, don't worry, because of the investments that your dad did with those tuppins in that first movie, the one with the kite, which I assume, which I thought he used the kite to, the tuppins to buy the kite, but he invested in, so who gives a shit? Um, <laughs> and then he's like, so you don't have to use this, this thing with the entire movie we got the plot, ah, oh, this movie sucks. So the entire movie, they, they are looking for this document. And then Dick Van Dyke is like, the rest of the movie doesn't matter. I'm just going to let you have your stupid house. <laughs> I hate it so much. Let's talk about Back to the Future. You get it. And, um, the, okay. One more thing for Back to the Future. 
the one plot hole that happens because the most of it can be explained with time travel. Like how come X happened? Time travel bullshit. Who cares? But the clock tower, the clock doesn't have a second hand. So if they're timing the, um, to the lightning, they have a 60 second window where the lightning can strike. So there's no way they'd be able to time it. But Doc had a, remember the, didn't Doc have the stopwatch around his neck and then he had the pocket watch, I believe, or didn't he have the pocket watch in the second movie? Or when yeah, he was back that, in the fifties? But that was to tie, to test the, um, to test. No, in the first the movie, right. But I thought he was carrying a pocket watch or something. If I, I'm, yeah, I that, was to, re- that was to time the lightning, but there's no way he could have sunk that up to the picture that he saw. Because there was right. no second hand on the um, on the clock tower, right? Because it was ten. It was ten o two when lightning struck the clock tower because it stopped. Yeah, but it could have been ten o two and fifteen seconds, or ten o two and forty five seconds. And Again, that's we it. have to that's allow it. creative license. And it took me, I think, twenty uh, viewings to even notice that. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? All in all, at the end of the day, it's about good fun you know yeah. it makes you think a little bit but you go in there and you just immerse yourself and lose yourself for an hour and 45 minutes or however long each one is and you get done and maybe you talk about it after you know go you go out and have a burger afterwards and say oh my god remember this part when that part or when the manure truck hit him or remember when he did this or remember when they did that or he, you know his mother tried to kiss him and oh my god and that's what it's all about, is just that escape. And ultimately, I mean, let's be honest, that's what movies are about, just an escape for a couple of hours. Especially movies like this. Absolutely. This was heaps of fun. I'm so glad Absolutely. that I got a chance to talk about Back to the Future. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I'm happy to be, I was happy to be here. It, it's been a good time. And if you ever want to come back on and talk about Jurassic Park or whatever... Oh, absolutely. I'm game. Yeah, you just let me know when. We, we can discuss a wide variety of movies. I, I Remember that old uh, video rental store, Blockbuster video? Yeah. I, I worked there for, I had my dream job. I was there for almost 10 years. <laughs> <It's a major. laughs> nice. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back. I had a great time. It was great to be here. Excellent. It was good to, uh, it was good to talk to you about this. Um, if you want to follow me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Aussie Nerd Pod. You can like my Facebook page, The Aussie Nerds. Uh, subscribe to this podcast. And each week on a Thursday, I will be talking to someone else about their favorite movie. <laughs>